Opinions expressed on the Ice Free Fitness podcast are those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent Blind Alive. No comments are meant to diagnose or treat any particular condition, but to assist you on your journey to wellness. Please consult your doctor if your questions are of a medical nature. Blind Alive! Hello, and welcome to Podcast 79. I'm Lisa Salinger, and before we get into the heart of this podcast, I would like to extend my sympathies on behalf of Mel, me, and all of us here at Blind Alive to those who have lost so much in the recent storms. Because of all the coverage of the storms, I think that all of our thoughts have gone to emergencies, disaster preparedness, and the like. So in light of that, we're going to be airing segments from a podcast we did before about the importance of medical IDs. A little more about that in a moment. We also have a link for you that involves disaster preparedness. Now I know that sometimes when you hear it on the news again and again, you get a little inundated with it, a little sick of it. But if that's the case and you've kind of had it up to here with it for the moment, I encourage you to save this information and come back and access it later. Because I've not known anyone who's been through a disaster who said, Oh, I was too prepared. I didn't need to take all the steps I did. And when I lost everything in a flood in 2011, there were certainly steps I wish I had taken. If you want to set your mind on something totally different, after the information about medical IDs, we will have a Book It segment. As always, we're happy for any suggestions you might have on books or topics you'd like us to cover. In the meantime, please stay safe out there, do all you can to be prepared, and enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Eyes Free Fitness Podcast 47. I'm Lisa Salinger, and you may feel, by the time you finish this podcast, like you've gotten the All Lisa podcast. I hope not, but I have information to share with you, and I think it's very important and hopefully helpful to you. First, I'm going to be interviewing someone and then going into more detail about the topic. And the topic I'm going to be talking about is having a medical ID. Now, before you turn off the podcast and say, oh, I don't need that because the only thing I've got going on is blindness or, oh, well, someday I'll put that stuff in my iPhone on the health app, which kind of, well, I've thought both of those things. But Before you turn it off and think that, I hope that you will listen and stay with us because we have some valuable information and it may make a marked difference either in your life or in the life of someone you care about. Be that a family member or even a pet or a guide dog. So stay tuned and I think you'll find information that will be useful and helpful to you. At least that is my hope. And now, I'd like to introduce to you someone I met recently as a result of the research I've been doing for this podcast. I'm very pleased to be here today with George Dries. He is a search and rescue specialist. He's a full-time firefighter, and he served in the Federal Urban Search and Rescue Task Force in the aftermath of September 11, 2001 terrorist attack in New York. He's also been involved in emergency relief efforts through the emergencies created by hurricanes Floyd, Katrina, Rita, and Isabel. He is currently the fire marshal for 
Susquehanna Township and has many, many other qualifications, but a wonderful wealth of knowledge that he is here to share with us. Before I have him start, let me tell you a little bit of a story about how all of this began. A couple years ago, I was talking to my doctor and he said, you know, I really believe that anyone who is blind should have some sort of medical identification. And his reasoning was that if I was injured or any blind person was injured and we were unable to speak for ourselves, that the diagnosis would be primarily dependent on what was seen in our eyes, how our eyes moved, how they responded to light. And knowing that we are blind or partially sighted or whatever would save a significant amount of time and effort for the first responders and might ultimately save our lives. So I thought that was all well and good, but I never really did anything about it because I didn't know where to go from there. I mean, there are lots of options, and we'll talk about these in a moment. There are services that you can pay for. There are cards that you can get with little medallions and fill out at the drugstore. You put the cards in your wallet. You can have the information on your smartphone. You can have a bracelet with all the information on a USB port. You just unclasp the bracelet and it connects to a computer via USB and you can put in all your information. But what I wanted to know was if you are a first responder, what works best? What is quote, the sweet spot of information, what maybe when you hear that someone has this, do you think, oh, that's not really good or that's not going to help us? And so my search led me to George, who finally, after all this talk time from me, we're going to let him speak. Welcome, George. Thanks, Lisa. The patient medical history and the way first responders, emergency responders gather patient medical history, traditionally has come on the scene from family, friends, or the actual patients stating what their problems were, what their past medical history issues are. From the emergency responder part, we also look at patient observations, what appears to be ailing them or what kind of trauma they have. We also look at the scene itself. Are there canes? Are there specialty chairs around to kind of indicate what medical history or problems they could have? We also looked for medical alert bracelets, and we also looked for wallet cards. The problems with some of these traditional ways to gather medical history are, in today's society, people are more reserved about sharing their medical issues with friends, coworkers especially. They don't want to be judged one way or the other, or for whatever reason that patient doesn't want to share medical issues. And what people think versus what are factual is not always the case. So we have to watch how much we take from bystanders or friends that don't truly know what that patient is. Scene observation issues, people have duplicate medical accessories in multiple cars. For instance, they could have collapsible wheelchair in both cars, but that doesn't indicate that the person in the passenger seat has any type of problem walking. It may just be that it's somebody else's wheelchair, and we may or we could misdiagnose or misevaluate a leg injury, a potential life-threatening leg or hip injury, just because we thought they had some kind of impairment with their walking because there was a wheelchair in the back. 
also, people don't necessarily drive everywhere. They have friends drive them. They use a cab or Uber vehicles that wouldn't have those type of things in it. The medical alert side of it, if it's a bracelet, if it's a necklace, do people wear them religiously? You should, but some people don't. And are they also up to date? The information on there changes as we get older. As I'm 56, I'm getting older, my body's starting to break down, I get it. But historically, we don't update that information. The wallet cards, they're, to be truthfully honest, they're the last thing that we look for as emergency responders, to go through somebody's wallet. Historically, we pass the wallet off, if we can, to the police department, and they're looking specifically for the ID. They're looking for a driver's license, something that says, this is John Doe, this is Jane Doe. And if they happen to see a medical alert tag behind that or in conjunction with that ID, well, then, yes, they'll push that forward. But historically, that's found on the way or at the hospital. And I'm saying this from the front-end user in emergency services. Some of the new technology that's out there, we have uh, the USB or the thumb drives. They're a lot smaller. You can put a lot of information on there, and they're small enough to be worn as necklaces. The problem is, while they're out there being marketed, and it's a great thing to look at and think about, the problem is information technology and the security industries that go along with hospital systems prohibit us from taking your thumb drive and putting it into our ambulance, our paramedic, or our hospital's information system because of spyware, viruses, et cetera, et cetera. We're forbidden from using those. We looked at it for our own SWAT team to take our SWAT members and have all their information, all their pertinent data on there, so all we have to do is plug it in. And that's when we realized that, hey, they're marketing these things, but we can't use them. A fire department's computer or a police department may not be as stringent, but it's better to find out what your local area allows or does not allow before you invest the time and the effort into that technology. And I really don't see in this day and age that security will ever decrease. So where do we go from there? From the high-tech side, we have QR codes and barcodes that are out there. They have the ability to store larger amounts of data than the normal bracelet, the medical alert tag. They could imprint a QR code or a barcode that would have a lot of data on it instead of the traditional, this is George Dries, this is his blood type, and one leg's longer than the other. And we can have a physical apps for our cell phones that a paramedic can sit and take a snapshot of it. It can interpret what that QR code is and put it back into English and say, here, here are the potential medical problems prior to the accident or prior to the medical condition. That's their medical history. So that's out there. From the security side of the world, it's not truly secure because if somebody takes a picture of you and it goes out on the internet, harmless thing, you put it on Facebook, somebody goes through Facebook, sees it, enlarges your picture, and then they can go ahead and they can copy that information and they can use it in some nefarious way. It's terrible thing to think about. That's some of the things that I have to think about in my levels of and world that I work in. 
the low-tech side of that, you could have the same type of thing or use a traditional bracelet, and you could put your name, your patient number, and the hospital system that you're embedded in, and that's a system where the doctors only can access. Your info can be transferred from hospital to hospital, from the hospital back to the paramedic, as quick as they can give you the information, the doctor at the emergency department or nurse, everybody that works in that hospital system that has access to patient records, including the paramedic, would be able to click it into their computer and say, here's the pertinent data that I need. The billing information, all the deep, dark secrets of somebody's thing, the local nurse or paramedic can't get into, but the immediate life-saving information they have access or the ability to have access to. So those are the things that can be done. And that can be worn as a bracelet, a necklace. And the same things we're taught when we do our patient exams. We're looking for their normal breathing. Are they bleeding? You know, blood pressure, pulses, respiration. So when you scan the neck, you see that there's, they have a necklace or you go to take a pulse, you see they have a bracelet. So it, it's right there, whether it's a name, patient number the hospital, or QR code, the paramedic, the EMT can take a picture of, and he can send it back to the emergency department as an email or a text message. They do that all the time now. It's accepted practice. Not that long ago, it wasn't an accepted practice. Now they can, so the doctor has an idea how bad this car accident was, how bad the patient looks. So that technology's there. But whatever we do, wherever this interview goes forward, we have to be able to match the technology with the end user being emergency services, as well as on the front line, that civilian, that person that we're trying to protect and save. So it, it basically has to make sense. It has to be usable and workable for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. The way to do it on our side, because there's stuff out there that we don't know about, the way to work it on our side and the emergency service side is we're required to do so much continuing education programs per year to maintain our certification. So we should almost have a block of training that the Department of Health for Pennsylvania, that's who governs Pennsylvania, EMTs and paramedics and hospital folk, a block of training that says, here's the new technology that's out there, whether it's a QR code or it's a barcode or it's a traditional bracelet number and hospital system. Here are the things to look for, and this is how it works in today's system. So you don't have a EMT that got from 1978, and he continues to do his continuing education. He just doesn't get spun up on the new technology. We as Mercy Service Society have a responsibility to keep up with what the public wants and the public needs, as well as who's out there vendoring it or and marketing it. And there is a disconnect. Yes, for sure. Now, some people say, well, this is easy, and I have a way to do this already. What I do is I put my health information in my phone. When I thought about that, my first thought was, it's a great idea because your phone is always with you. And I'm asking you, knowing that you don't represent 
all emergency services personnel all over. But I think you're a good representative sample. If you got, if you found a phone with someone and there was no other medical information and you tried to access the information on that phone and that phone had a program on it that caused it to speak and therefore change the gestures that were needed to access the phone, would you know, for example, on an iPhone or on an Android, how to make that voice go away so that you could access no. that information? Okay. No, I wouldn't. And is from vehicle accidents, it's oftentimes that it's bystanders that are making that 911 call. And when we start working on the patient, they're looking for their phone because where they thought their phone was, and too often it's in their hand, uh, the cause of the accident, um, their phone flies, it, it falls apart um, yeah. in the accident. Yeah. The last thing we're looking, we're trying to treat the patient. We're not really looking for their phone. We're not right. looking for their, their purse that's in the front seat or the back seat. Um, we're still, if there's no other information, we're going to treat what we see and what should be normal anatomically correct things and what are, a, what are traumatic versus atraumatic. Um, the problem is society isn't 100% like that. We need a simple, somewhat system, even if it's something on that bracelet that says additional info is on my phone. A lot of people lock their phone so that people can't get into it. They like the security because they do banking and a lot of other things on their phone. Maybe there would be an override app that could get that information. But then again, if you set your phone down, can somebody have all your medical history? It's a very slippery slope we live in today. Yes, and there is a way to show some of that information on the lock screen. But again, even if the phone were intact and the phone stayed with the person, you would have an additional layer of technicality and difficulty because of the speech on the phone. And so it really is a matter, I think, of choosing what's important, customizing, and finding a solution that will work best for each individual. For example, somebody whose medical conditions change relatively frequently might need something where they can update more often. Someone who's allergic to penicillin, that's not really going to change. They could just have penicillin allergy engraved on a bracelet and mm -hmm. be done with it. But I think it really does differ... What about these services where you subscribe for $9.95 a year and you fill out reams of paperwork? There are some out there like that. And to gain any information, you have to call their number. Are they something that you have found to be useful? I've never used one, no. Maybe once they get to the hospital and they identify that they're from out of town, literally, they're probably stumbling across that information unless, again, there's a bracelet type of thing. There's a necklace um, type of thing. And in doing some research, I've found really how many different options there are because there are bracelets and necklaces in a variety of styles. I also found anklets. And I found something that was called a shoe tag. And I had to look because to me that sounded a little morbid, like a toe tag. But <laughs> this is, it's made for runners. And it goes yes. on a running shoe. It threads onto the shoelace, which, again, 
might not be great if you get your picture taken a lot, but if you don't and you wear the same kind of lace-up shoes every day, there really are so many now that there's kind of no excuse not to, and it could very well save your life or definitely make the job of someone like George a lot easier, and that way they can help you and then move on to the next person. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge advocate of any of those, but I think the end user has to do their due diligence in asking what their local community looks for. Does your EMS emergency service provider, your ambulance, your paramedic system, is that something they normally look for? And if not, educate them. This is what this is what's going on. And it's something that I think the emergency service side, we need to take more of an active, more responsible role in identifying the products that are out there and our abilities to utilize those. So who would an individual contact in his or her local town? Would they contact the ambulance association? or? Yeah, I, w- I would start with the local ambulance. If you're in Pennsylvania, there's the emergency services like the fire service has different areas of, of co- normal coverage. And then in Pennsylvania, there's emergency health service regions where in Harrisburg, the Mercy Health Service Federation covers eight counties, and they're responsible for all the ambulance and paramedic care reports, the curriculum, the protocols on how to treat patients, drug dosages, those things are governed through them. And their parent company, so to speak, is the Pennsylvania Department of Health. So any of those three, either local, the regional aspect, or Pennsylvania Department of Health. Right. And if you have any questions on who's who, go to Pennsylvania Department of Health, stand by for 15 minutes of press one for this, two for that, <laughs> and you should get somebody. Yes. And I'm delighted to inform you that if you live in other states, you get to play the same press one for this and two for that game. But your Absolutely. local... Your state's Department of Health would probably be a good place. I would think even the outreach at your local hospital, it's going to depend a lot on the size of your area, but it's important to consider this stuff so that if it were ever needed, and we hope it's not, but if it is, at least you've planned and you've done everything you can to make things easy for yourself and for those who are trying to give assistance. And thank you so much, George, for the assistance and the education and the information you've provided us today. I am very pleased that we had this conversation, and I think it will help a lot of our listeners. Thank you. And it's opened my thought process to taking a closer look on how we do things on our end of it. We need to improve, and uh, I'm going to see what we can do on our end as well. I thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. And I hope you'll stay with me because in the next segment, we're going to talk about some of the solutions in depth and how they relate to overall accessibility and usability for those of us who are blind and who have visual impairments. Are you interested in finding products which will help you to read and write easily and intuitively via your iOS device? The VoiceStream Reader and Writer applications may be just what you're looking for, and Mystic Access can assist you in using them effectively with our comprehensive audio tutorials. With VoiceStream Writer, 
You can enter, select, move, and format text easily and conveniently. Import and export text. Proofread. Define words. Get help finding the exact words you want to use, and more. With VoiceStream Reader, you can read in a variety of formats and using various services such as Bookshare and Project Gutenberg. Choose your reading speed, font, reading voice, and the manner in which you wish to read your text. The VoiceStream apps can make your reading and writing, well, a dream. And Mystic Access provides you with the ability to learn to use these apps in a fun and enjoyable manner. Check out the VoiceStream apps for iOS at voicestream.com. And learn about the Mystic Access audio tutorials for VoiceStream Reader and VoiceStream Writer for iOS at mysticaccess.com. Or call us to order your tutorials via phone at 716-543-3323. Mystic Access, where the magic is in learning. If you choose to go with some sort of medical identification jewelry, you have many, many options. There are ones that you can buy from a pharmacy or a catalog where you can write in the information. There's a little slot where you or someone can write the information and then it's covered over. And there's a little clasp and it would be opened so that someone could read the information. You can also order bracelets from various sources that have a condition or conditions engraved. And more recently, there is a new variety of medical alert jewelry, and that involves the use of QR codes. I'm going to talk about two options. Before I go much farther, let me tell you that of all the podcasts that I've been involved with so far that have had show notes, this one is probably going to be the one with the most information in the show notes. So if specific things interest you and you would like more information, chances are you may be able to find it in the show notes. I'm going to talk about two companies. They are by no means the only companies out there, but they are good and representative examples. The first one is a company called Lauren's Hope, and that is www.laurenshope.com. And there's no apostrophe, just L-A-U-R-E-N-S hope.com. And they sell engraved medical ID, bracelets, and necklaces. These are a bit more high fashion, a bit more elegant, and possibly a bit more costly. In general, you'll be paying between about $50 and $100 if you want some of this identifying jewelry. They have primarily bracelets and necklaces. I found their website accessible and easy to browse. A listener to the podcast says that they were very responsive and very helpful when getting a piece of medically identifying jewelry. The jewelry that Lawrence Hope has, although they do carry an item from another reseller that allows you to use QR codes, but primarily the jewelry that they have is engraved with specific medical conditions. So if your conditions change or if you have information that is a little more detailed, this may or may not be the way to go for you. I do have a fair amount of detailed information, plus I was just curious, so I pursued information about a company that had QR codes, and I found Keep Me Safe ID, and that is www.keepmesafe.com. 
blindalive.com. Again, let me say that Blind Alive is not specifically endorsing either of these products. We received no compensation, and there is no indication that we would in future. So this is my information, my experience with the company and with the experience as a whole. I was able to navigate the website and found everything to be quite accessible. This company was started by parents who have a child who was autistic, and they found that there was a need for this, and other families express needs and have been using their stuff in a variety of ways. And the reason I'm saying stuff and not just jewelry, as I mentioned in the previous interview, they do have shoe tags, and they also have bracelets, necklaces, luggage tags, and tags for pet collars. I'm probably forgetting something. But the really neat thing is it doesn't have a name or a condition on it. It has this QR code. It also has a website, and it also has a phone number. So if someone had your information, they could access the site and gain the information that they needed to get you the help that you need. And this has actually been used in a variety of ways. I read about a family who moved to a new area, and they had small children, and they were afraid that if their children got lost, they would not remember the new address or phone number. And so they created profiles for their children, and the children wore bracelets, at least for a while. I've heard of people using these on family vacations. They've been used for older people with Alzheimer's or people with autism if they tend to wonder and to get lost or get separated. So there are really lots of very interesting uses for these. I chose to get a dog tag style necklace. So it came on a beaded chain and it is made of a substance. It doesn't feel like metal. I'm not really sure what it is, but it's nice and sturdy. It's white and the writing on it, I believe, is red and black, and the chain is silver. And I knew that I would receive instructions with the bracelet on how to activate the information and fill out my profile. However, as you know, when scanning text, sometimes numbers can be incorrectly read, and I was curious if other options were available. Before I even received my necklace, I emailed the company, and I asked if it would be possible for them to email me the instructions. And they did. It was great. I got them. I was able to fill it out. I was able to set up the profile even before I had the bracelet. In the show notes, you'll find a few brief notes of mine, just observations on setting it up. If you are even a little bit computer savvy, you really should not have too many problems. And these may change if their website changes. But These are just some thoughts that I had outlined that might help to smooth the process just a bit. When I got the actual necklace, I did scan the information. I used my phone, and I used KNFB Reader. And it read pretty well, but it didn't read my number with 100% accuracy. So it was a good thing to get the information by email. I had it in less than a day, and they were quick, and they were responsive. I should mention also that these items are lower cost. For example, 
The bracelets are silicone and metal, and I don't believe any kind of precious metals are used. The most pricey thing on the site was $30, and everything else was less than that. One really nice thing that I found about the service is that you do not have to pay a yearly subscription fee. Once you fill out your profile, you can change it as much as you want, but you don't have to pay an annual cost. Also, if you have documents, things maybe relating to power of attorney or a living will, you can upload them there if you like. Also, just because I'm curious, I wanted to find out if there was a way that I could use an app to read my own QR code. Essentially, I wanted to see what someone else accessing my information would see. There is a free iOS app called QR Reader, and I will have a link to that in the show notes. I would imagine that there is an Android alternative, but I'm not aware of one specifically. I didn't have to press any kind of buttons within the app, just held the tag in front of my camera, and it gave a little beep to let me know that it had seen and scanned it. And then, the next thing I knew, my information from the Keep Me Safe ID site was showing. The other really nice thing is, right after that, I got an email, and it said, someone has accessed your Keep Me Safe ID profile. Then, it gave me the longitude and latitude, the coordinates I would need, to find out where that person was located. I could have also viewed it in Google Maps. So I felt that the whole experience was very good and very safe. I like the idea of getting a necklace specifically because with the bracelet, the QR code is on top. So I just felt that the necklace was better because it could be hidden in my clothes. And the chain is, I believe, 36 inches, so it is quite long. You can actually cut it shorter if you choose, but it's quite long, so it can easily be hidden under your clothes. This has been an interesting journey for me, and I feel like I have learned an awful lot. I now have a medical profile. It is not completely complete, but my aim is to get that done very shortly. I now have some emergency information available, though, and plan to finish the rest shortly. I'd be very curious about your experiences with any kind of medical ID jewelry, and would be happy to hear any questions you might have. The whole idea of keeping our information secure while keeping ourselves safe is still an area that's evolving, and I think it's fascinating to watch. Let's book it. If you've ever worried about losing five pounds, or ten, or more, or you're concerned about the weight of someone that you love, or maybe you just want to look at exercise and healthy eating in an entirely new way, I have a book that I think you might enjoy. It's called Why Diets Make Us Fat, the Unintended Consequences of Our Obsession with Weight Loss, and it's by Sandra Amud. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. It is spelled A-A-H-M-O-D-T. This was a really fantastic book. It is mostly of a scientific and research nature, but it has enough real-life stories and examples in it that it kept me listening and I wasn't at all confused. So she took what could be some very complex topics and made them simple. Essentially, she was talking about the difficulty of losing weight and keeping it off. And she suggested some alternatives, which she feels are preferable. She talked about focusing on working out and eating mindfully and healthfully as ways of life and not 
punishments. She also talked about the fact that we're so focused sometimes on losing weight that we don't focus on maintaining the weight that we have. For those of us who have dieted much of our lives, gained and lost, gained and lost, only to gain again, she talked about the difficulty of actually losing that weight and advocates leading a healthy lifestyle at whatever size we currently find ourselves. This book really kind of surprised me because I'd be reading along and all of a sudden, in the midst of the science, there would be a quote that would just pop out at me. It would just practically jump off the page or jump off my audio device. And I want to share a few of those with you. This first one is especially relevant, I think, to how we feel about ourselves, not only the size and shapes of our bodies, but for those of us who can't see, I think the issues could be deeper. She writes, shaming people to encourage them to lose weight is counterproductive. Few people are motivated to take good care of anything that they hate, and that includes their bodies. Instead, body dissatisfaction leads people to disconnect from their bodies, concentrating on their intellectual abilities and trying to ignore the messy and unsatisfying realities of biology. In her discussion of mindful eating, she writes, Food is just as wasted if it's eaten by someone who's not hungry as if it's thrown away. Of course, it's good common sense, but I think just something about the way that she wrote it really made me think. She also says, keep fruits, vegetables, and nuts around for snacking while doing something else, and save the sugar and fat for times when they can be savored. And I think that's so important because sometimes when we have those indulgences, we're feeling so much guilt that we don't really take the time to enjoy them. So it's almost as if they didn't count, almost as if we didn't have them. Whereas I think if we really let them count, maybe they would satisfy and we wouldn't necessarily keep looking for the next thing. Finally, she says, when we think of exercise or eating well as a means to achieve weight loss, or worse yet, as punishment for weight gain, rather than important goals in their own right, we often end up sabotaging our efforts to create a healthier lifestyle. And there is quite a lot of information that you can learn. I know that some of you who are listening are underweight, some are of average weight, some are overweight, and some are probably significantly overweight. And if that's you, there are options. She talks about how important it is just to get up and to move around and to do something, even for short periods of time, until you start seeing the benefits. And sometimes, especially if you've done that whole cycle of dieting and losing weight and dieting and losing weight, you may not see weight loss results, or you may not see them very quickly. But what you will feel are improvements in how you feel, maybe fewer aches and pains, and also feeling less short of breath when you have to walk a distance or quickly, or upstairs, or carrying groceries, or grandchildren, or any of the things that you'd like to do in your normal life. The author also gave a TED Talk, and there will be a link to that in the show notes. You might want to listen to this along with reading the book, or if you don't think that you want to listen to approximately seven hours of audio, you can get the Reader's Digest condensed version. Although, of course, I really do recommend the book. Speaking of the book, 
It is available through Bard, Bookshare, and other places. I especially like the Bard version because it is commercial audio and is read by the author. If you are interested in the concept of finding health at any size, there is a book with that name called Health at Every Size. It is by Linda Bacon, B-A-C-O-N, and is on Bookshare and is available wherever you can purchase electronic books. We also have a blog post that Melanie Pesco wrote for us on that topic, and that will also be linked in the show notes. I really struggled when rating this book. I decided to give it four out of five glasses of lemon water. I wanted to rate it higher because the author dealt with a very controversial topic without throwing stones, without engaging in what I would consider paranoid hype. She just laid out the facts clearly, simply, but yet intelligently. So on that alone, I really wanted to give it a five. The reason I didn't was because the book left me kind of disappointed, but I've tried to turn that into curiosity. Let me explain. Basically, she's saying that diets really do not help and can make things worse. And she talked about eating and exercising healthfully. And I understand that she didn't want to get too much into mechanics because that can vary based on the person. And there are lots of how-to books. But I would have liked to have learned more about the health benefits. I know that numbers are improved and that studies have been done, but I would have liked some anecdotal evidence. What can people do now that they couldn't do before? And how do they feel, even if their weight has stayed the same? What has changed? And if you do want or need to lose weight, is there a way to go about doing so that will yield lasting results. However, to be fair, the author did not say this was one of her objectives in writing this book, which is why I find sometimes that quantifying a book with a number is really hard. Even so, I think this is one of the best, most transformative books I've read this year, and that's saying something, because I read quite a lot. If you'd like me to read and comment on a book you're thinking about getting, please feel free to send email to lisa at blindalive.com. I make no promises. After all, not every book is a good fit for absolutely every person, but I promise I will at least consider it. Once again, the book I'm discussing today is Why Diets Make Us Fat, The Unintended Consequences of Our Obsession with Weight Loss by Sandra Amut, available from Bard, Bookshare, and elsewhere. Happy reading! At blindalive.com, we offer 30-second samples of all of our workouts. Here's just one example. Balanced movement. Okay, from your base posture, I want you to start marching in place, standing straight and tall in that really perfect posture. Just begin lifting one leg and then the other and swinging the opposite arm just like you were walking in place. So your right knee comes up and your left arm moves forward. So your arms are swinging freely at your side as you're marching in place. This also serves to get our bodies warmed up. Thank you for listening to Podcast 79. As always, we're so happy to have any comments, questions, or suggestions you might have. 
please feel free to write to us at support at blindalive.com. Use the contact form on our website, join our Eyes Free Fitness list, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to catch up with you in any of those places.